Thank you, Mark and Vicki and Rebecca. What a beautiful, beautiful day in so many ways. And I don't look right, my wife says. <laughs> haste makes waste. New style for preachers. Thank you, honey. I would have seen it on the video and then said, how come nobody said anything? All right. Before we go into the sermon today, I want to say praise the Lord and thank you for all of the willing participants in the church school efforts. Uh, the work B was a wonderful success. The prayer walk was even probably more important. And even though I wasn't able to be at the prayer walk, I was uh, hearing about it as it was happening. And I just want to say keep praying. Tomorrow, the final cleanup, we passed our plumbing inspection. Can you say amen? Thank you, Pastor Page and all the others that worked with him. Uh, I actually took a picture yesterday, which maybe next week we'll show it to you. I just thought all those copper pipes with all of that uh, insulation on them was a work of art. And several people were critical on that, and there was so much else. I'm not going to start naming people, but we do need to continue raising resources. Now, we did receive $25,000 from Michigan Advanced Partners. Can you say amen? But unfortunately, we're going to need to use that money for what the expenses were we didn't see. So we still need to raise the goal in the bulletin. And uh, for instance, when we went to put that nice new driveway in, we realized we had to put some dry wells. And uh, our, our excavator was gracious enough to give us another day of work in the midst of a super busy schedule. But there's just a variety of things like that. So our part in the bulletin will remain what it is and hopefully no more. But please consider joining us without robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I think also right now we're going to take a minute and pray for our teachers that are with us. So I want to invite any of the teachers or staff from the school that are here to come up and spread out up here up front, and we're going to ask a special prayer for them. So if you're a teacher here this morning or a staff member at our school, we're inviting you to come up, and uh, we're going to ask God's blessing on you. There's a lot of people who work to make this happen. And we'll take some up on the platform with me and some down on the floor. So uh, don't be bashful. Spread yourselves out a little bit. Yep, come on up, Mr. Bugby, if you can help get us spread around just a little bit. We're going to ask God to bless these teachers, administrators, and staff. So come on up, ladies. Uh, let's get some people up here. I know nobody likes to come up here. Thank you, Mr. Coles. And, yep, thank you, thank you. Great, come on. Get a little closer. I mean, we, we want to still practice some good social distancing, but we do want to see everybody. All right. Cheryl, if you don't mind, come in just a little farther. Alyssa, you want to move over to the middle, front and center. This is our new math teacher. Super. All right. We're starting to see everybody, including the next generation. Praise the Lord. Indy's here. All right. Let's ask God to bless these folks. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the teachers to close their eyes. 
I'm going to ask you with a person next to you. Now, if you're social distancing, just pray on your own. But I want to take a minute. And I want little groups of twos, not more than twos. And I want you to pray for these teachers and staff. And then I'm going to ask Rebecca, even though you're fulfilling multiple roles, because you're going to be working over there too. But after about 60 seconds, I want you to quit playing the piano. So go ahead and play it while we're praying. And then I'm going to ask a special uh, blessing on them. But let's all hold them up. So you can't pray a long time. It's already 12.20. And I have a sermon to preach still. All right, so I'm going to give you 60 to 90 seconds just two by twos or by yourself, but pray out loud. And let's let the voice of many waters ascend to heaven on behalf of these Christian educators. So find that person. Don't move. And let's pray. Start now. Father, thank you for giving us a church school that's to complement the church at home. And I'm praying, bless the first teachers, which are the parents today. Anoint them. May they make the decisions they need to make this year that help their children develop appetites for heaven, love for mankind. And then I want to pray, Lord, for these teachers and staff members that are up here in front of us today. They represent lots of unseen sacrifice. And I'm praying, Lord, that you'll anoint them with personal strength for the spiritual battles they fight. We don't know what they are, but they carry burdens nobody knows about. And I'm praying, Lord, that you'll give them this confidence that you're with them and that they can do it. And then I'm praying for the fragrance of the Holy Spirit in their lives. May their classes be rich, warm places, the best little spot those kids could be all day if they don't have a really sweet home to come from. And I'm praying for our lead administrator, Mark Bugby, and all those that assist him. Give him that large heart and clear thinking that it'll take for us to keep focusing our curriculum and the culture to getting ready to see Jesus. And bless the children, Lord. Save them from this world that wants to steal them from us. And may we present them to you, Lord. Here are the children you gave us. 
Bless this school, Lord. Bless it in every way. Your spirit, the teachers, the finances, the organization, may it all be yours, Lord. And if there's somebody here today or listening online that needs to follow your prompting and become a part of this covenant community to give their children discipleship in Christ during the school hours, move on their hearts. Bless us to that end now. The school is yours. Our lives are yours. Do with it as you would, but please don't pass us by. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, teachers and staff, for coming up here and letting us see who you all are and for all your work at our school. This morning, I'm going to make a journey in the Word around the life of a man that wasn't wholly bad and wasn't wholly good. And I want us to understand that's how a lot of people in society are right now. They're not bad necessarily, and they're not good, but we all share the same carnal nature, which is self-first under pressure. There are a lot of wonderful people out there who don't present that side that is sown inside of us because of the choices of Adam and Eve. There's no one good, the Bible says, and yet there's much good reflected in the hearts of many, which is a reflection of God, even though people don't understand that's where it comes from. This morning's subject matter is two groups. One includes you and one doesn't. The first group is a singular group. It's Pilate. He was the governor of Judea or of I should say, of the Roman uh, territory that included Judea. The other group is postmodern people, which includes all of us. This morning, I want to bring together how his life and our culture coincide, both to take away that which is good in our lives and to remake us into the image of this world and how Christ himself is pleading as he pled for him. Take your Bibles this morning. Go back to our scripture reading in the book of John. The book of John, chapter 18, Pilate and Postmoderns in Peril. You have to remember we're at the end of Jesus' life. Literally, we're coming within hours of his death. He's given himself freely for all of us. He's not been afraid. He's moving to the cross. And along the way, there'll be much abuse and misunderstanding. But there's one more person to save before he gets there, and his name is Pilate. You may not have looked at the story that way before, but that's exactly the case. And before we're all said and done, I hope we see it. I want to ask you at the beginning of this sermon, who are you? What's your identity? Some people's identity is in a NASCAR driver. Some people's identity is in a sports personage of another place. Some people's identity in a successful businessman. Some people's identity is in some pursuit of pleasure. But where is your identity? All of us need to understand there is a time coming in which our identity will be forged into either a likeness of the devil or a perfect reflection of Jesus. That moment is recorded in the story of John chapter 18. Jesus has spent the night with his disciples in the garden. He was praying. They were sleeping. And finally, after being accosted by the mob on Friday morning, they've been in their own little kangaroo court. They're done with that, but they can't kill Jesus without permission of the Romans. Thus enters Pilate. Verse 28, John chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. It was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. It's important for us to recognize the geography of the moment 
and the reasons behind the limitations of movement. The Praetorium was a large fortress called the Antonio Praetorium. It was located directly against the temple. And when I say directly, I mean the two buildings joined each other. Not a terribly good testimony of what could begin in the precincts of the Jewish church. There were all kinds of riots. There was all kinds of tumults and elements of civil, civil unrest. And the Romans wanted to be right by it and nip it in the bud. But Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin have done an illegal courtroom setting through the night. And now they want to go out and finish the deed, but they don't want to be made ceremonially impure. Every Jew of the day believed that being with a Gentile made them unclean and that they could not participate in church services. So they know that if they go into the government building there where Pilate is going to pronounce judgment, they will be unfit according to their understanding of what holiness means to participate in the festivities that will take place later that afternoon, which was the Passover. The Passover was a feast in which a lamb was slain in commemoration of the night in Egypt when God took the people out of slavery and set them on the journey to the promised land. A lamb was slain and blood was put on the doorpost of, of the homes in which the recipients of the blood lived. And when the destroying angel came through in the 10th plague and it saw the blood, it would pass by those houses. Thus, the name of the festival became the Passover. It just turned out that now some two and a half, or some 1,500 years later, they're in a moment where the ultimate Passover lamb has come. They were all symbols. Jesus is the reality. And what's happening now is they're going to go celebrate the symbol and sacrifice the reality, not sacrificing the way Christ's death should come about, but sacrificing because in envy and, and jealousy, they can't stand to have the light of his life shining on the darkness of their religious experience. Now, if you've known a Christian today like the Pharisees or the scribes, who is not principled and loving, then you might find yourself more closely familiar with the disingenuousness and the hypocrisy of this verse than you'd like to be. Religion in America has lost its way. The principles that would make the church stand out as a glorious representation of goodness have been surrendered to make sure everybody feels good and society goes to pot. They won't go in where Pilate is. Pilate has to come out to them. This is the last moments of Christ's life. Verse 29, then Pilate went out to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man, Jesus, the Son of God? Now before Pilate, now before the Sanhedrin, they answered and they said to him, verse 30, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Oh, that changes the story. So in order to fulfill the words which he spoke, signifying by which death he was about to die, Pilate knew what they meant. This is crucifixion. It's the Roman way. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and he summoned Jesus, and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? In the Desire of Ages, the author writes, Pilate looked at the men who had Jesus in their charge, then his gaze rested searchingly on Jesus. He had to deal with all kinds of criminals, but never before had a man bearing the marks of such goodness and nobility been brought before him. 
He's looking at Jesus, and on the face of Jesus, he sees no signs of guilt, no expressions of fear, no boldness or defiance. He saw a man of calm and dignified bearing whose countenance bore not the marks of a criminal, but the signature of heaven, and Pilate finds himself in a dilemma. He knows what the Jews are doing, and he doesn't know a lot about Jesus, but he knows something, and he can tell just by looking at him. The Jews are blind to themselves, and consequently, they're blind to the fact that Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, is there to pay for their sins. But Pilate sees a little better than even they. Pilate knows that Jesus had resurrected Lazarus. He knows a little bit about some of his ministry. And Pilate is not accustomed to just passing judgment without some sense of justice, although before he has swept people away who were not guilty. Pilate was not a just or conscientious judge, but he was weak. And though he was weak in moral power, he refused to grant this request. He was not going to condemn Jesus until the charge had been brought against him. Put one up for Pilate. But the priests want to make sure that Jesus doesn't get out of their grasp. Jesus has been asked a question, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and he says, are you saying this or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I wouldn't be handed over to, to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom's not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus said, you say correctly, I am a king for this reason I've been born and for this I've come into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate, listening to the sounds of the mob, steps away uttering this famous phrase, what is truth? How would you like to be Pilate? You're a pagan. You're not an atheist because Rome's, Romans worshiped all kinds of gods. But here you are in this country where the religious people are some of the meanest people you've ever seen. But they say they worship the only true God. And so here's Pilate stuck in an interesting dilemma. He doesn't profess the high lofty moral standard of the Jews, but he can see that something's very wrong here. They're full of hatred and greed and envy. They want to destroy a man who's clearly not a criminal, and Pilate has to make a decision. He steps back and talks with Jesus. He's been woken up early because the trial of Jesus went on through the early hours of the morning, in other words, very late at night, which was against Jewish law. And as Jesus is standing here, he engages Jesus in a discussion, and Jesus says, in effect, you don't have to worry. I'm not against Rome. I'm not after your position. I'm here to establish a kingdom of truth. I came into this world to establish the line clearly between right and wrong based on what true love is. And here's Pilate under deep conviction, which nobody likes to be under because it means moving out of a comfort zone into a scary new zone. And Pilate doesn't know what to do, and he says, what is truth? We're in a dangerous position as a country because we no longer corporately really believe telling the truth is that important. So it doesn't matter. As long as you get your message across and you really believe in it, you don't have to tell the whole story. You can tell the part you want to tell and leave the part out you don't want to talk about. What does that mean when you start looking at elements of governance 
It's hard to come to a place where you know what to do if you don't know right from wrong. And why is Pilate all of a sudden thrust into the position of being the most noble man in the crowd aside from Jesus? We don't usually think about Pilate that way. But in effect, he's standing up to the church saying, oh, not so fast. This man's clearly not guilty. So what has he done that's so terrible? Pilate says, what is truth? We ought to be asking ourselves, what happened to truth? Our society used to believe, whether you liked it or not, that you at least needed to tell most of the story. And nowadays, you don't have to do that. And if you want to get it, you tune your radio to this side of the channel in the morning or this side in the evening so that you can try to figure out, well, they're saying this and they're saying this. Unfortunately, when we lose truth, it's hard to know where to go and what to do. But if there's a storyline in this message, it's this. Christ wants to save us from not knowing what to do and invite us into a relationship with him where we can be free. He'll go to great lengths to do it. When Pilate said, what is truth? He then went out to the Jews and said to them again, I find no guilt in him. That's at least time number two. Now, every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record this story. They tell us all something just a little bit. John takes up part of chapter 18 and the largest part of chapter 19. You could have put it all into a chapter. Pilate is a main player in the Gospel story for John. So what do you want me to do with him? I have a custom, verse 39, where I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? They cried out saying, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Pilate makes his first fatal mistake, verse 1 of 19. He took Jesus and he scourged him. Now why would you scourge an innocent man? Pilate had a colossal misunderstanding. And listen to me very carefully because it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how long you've come to church. If you allow sin to deepen its rootage in your life, you'll end up with a fruitage you never wanted to have. Pilate didn't know that behind the cloak of religion was so much hate that scourging Jesus would do no good. A scourge was where you took a whip embedded with metal or bone, and the man had no shirt on, you tied him to a post, and 39 times you let the lash come down on him, and every time you pulled it away, there was a new channel for rivers of blood to flow in. Jesus was whipped 39 times, and then his clothes were thrown back on him, and Pilate's hoping that the mob will see this and there'll be a bit of pity. But the problem is the devil is in the group. Demons are active in the crowd and all pity is gone. And what Pilate's plan is isn't going to work. But when they see Pilate give in on a little bit of integrity, they're willing to push him for a greater offense to his own person. Of course, you have the experience with Herod, which... I'm not going to go to, but while he's being whipped by the Roman soldiers, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they put a reed in his hand, and sometimes they take their hands and slap him in the face. When it's all done, verse 4 of 19, chapter 19, Pilate came out again, and they said to him, he said to them, behold, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. 
Jesus came out wearing that crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate's taken back. This isn't what he thought. He could see that he's not guilty. What other people can't see that he's not guilty? And the pity that would come to a suffering human being seems to be absent in the environment of this crowd. Pilate says to him, finally, take him and crucify him yourself. Now, I want to interject one more thing into this story. Go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew 27. In the book of Matthew, we have one more intervention from heaven for Pilate. Matthew chapter 27. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to get you to the place. And I'm going to summarize what happened that day. They bring him to Pilate. He tries to release him two times. He finds out he's from Judea, so he sends him over to Herod. Herod doesn't want to do the dirty deed, so he sends him back to Pilate. Pilate has him scourged again. How many times Pilate tries to release Jesus is more than probably most of us know. It's at least three and maybe more. But finally, before the story is all over, Pilate, who has gotten out of bed early in the morning, is summoned to read a message coming from his wife. Verse 17 of chapter 27 in the book of Matthew. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? We're getting down to the end. Pilate thinks surely they'll see the hardness written in the face of Barabbas and say, release him. For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. Verse 19, and while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. I want to tell you what she saw. She stood there before this. She was in her dream, and she stood there and saw the Son of God wearing the robe of mockery and the crown of thorns. This is Mrs. Pilate. In her dream, according to the desire of ages, this is what she saw. Jesus was stripped to the waist. His back showed the long, cruel stripes from which the blood flowed freely. His face was stained with blood and bore the marks of exhaustion and pain, but never had it appeared more beautiful than now. Every feature expressed gentleness and resignation and the tenderest pity for his cruel foes. In the manner, there was no cowardly weakness, but strength and dignity of long-suffering. In the midst of that moment, Mrs. Pilate is watching what's going on in in the judgment room of her husband. And she is hoping with all hope that the dream will end up different than it looks like it's ending up. She's watching the abuse of Jesus. And finally, she awakes from her dream screaming. She pencils out what she saw, sends it to her husband, and the final part of what she says is that she sees Jesus in this dream coming back in the future, sitting on the judgment throne of God. And Pilate is shaken to the core. But because Pilate has started down a wrong road, because Pilate had not decided early in his career to be this, he was slowly being made into that. 
And what he became in that moment was something he never thought he would be. But eventually the Jews pushed the secret button. They called out that anybody that didn't deal with a threat to Caesar was not a friend to Caesar. And in that moment, Pilate comes to a place where he brings the water pan and he washes his hands. And as he is turning to leave, he says to Jesus, forgive me for this act. I cannot save you. And when he had again scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. What I want you to know is that when Jesus was in Gethsemane that night, he was praying for Pilate. When he was sweating great drops of blood on Thursday night before he was come and accosted by the mob, he was praying for Pilate the one that would hold his destiny in his hands. Jesus could have died. The weight of the world could have snuffed out his life. Pilate didn't have to be the avenue through which hatred was allowed to flow. Pilate didn't stand up and put an end to justice just at a civil level, let alone a moral and religious level. But that night as Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, he was praying for Pilate. And the dream that Matthew records that came to Mrs. Pilate's mind which troubled her so greatly, was a function of that prayer. And I want to assure you that while Jesus was standing before the mob and for Pilate, his prayers were ascending on behalf of this ruler whose destiny hung in the balance. It's not just Pilate. It's every person that declares themselves good in this postmodern age with no one to tell them. Nobody's good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not just Pilate, it's you and me in a society where nobody wants to risk the emotional pain of being smeared across public media, social media. Nobody wants to be the bad guy, so we all get to play act like we're good guys, and we all just slowly get squeezed into the world's mold, and you end up in a moment like Pilate's where either your destiny or yours and somebody else's is hanging in the balance, and the devil knows you're not firm, you're not on the rock, you're just a bunch of silly putty in his hands, and the squeeze is on, and he misshapes who you are into somebody you never planned to be. You see, we're in an age now where the truth is largely absent, and people can do what they want as long as they have might. But the day is coming when true Christians will be labeled the problem. When that time comes, it'll be so absolutely important that our lives were shaped like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That everybody will know when they look at us, this person is not a criminal. In an age where nobody can know what's true, and lies can be spread all over the place, there are some things that rise above the confusion and the visage, the countenance, the presence of Jesus did that. And the beauty of Christ in us is to do that. 
so that when the final judgment comes, not the one where civil society pronounces guilt upon the innocent, but when the final judgment comes where Jesus sits on the throne of judgment, not lays himself out on the sacrifice of mercy for our sins, when that moment comes and Jesus must declare in truth what is and what isn't about those that would love to have life eternal, he won't be forced to have the painful word wrung from his lips, depart from me, I never knew you, but instead we will be calling out, yea, this is our God, we've waited for him and he will save us and he will be welcoming us home, little children. But who you are then is determined by who you've chosen to be today. Pilate never meant to go down in history as one of the most cowardly people that ever existed, but he wasn't willing to lose his job and he wasn't willing to lose the favor of those he was governing, so instead he lost his integrity with an expedient decision and later on he lost his place for the Roman government and history tells us committed suicide. There's nothing worth gaining if you gain it at the expense of your soul. There's nothing that's beautiful and happy if it isn't clean and true. There's nothing worth holding on to if you couldn't walk with it all the way to the kingdom. God gave us love. God gave us life. It's built on truth. It's built on acceptance provided by the sacrifice of Jesus. And today, he's calling each of us to know who we are. When Pilate woke up that Friday morning, he didn't say, I'm a bad man and I'm going to give away my integrity to an angry mob. When Pilate woke up that morning, he didn't say, I'm throwing away my eternal destiny. When Pilate woke up that morning, he didn't say, I'm about to become everything I never wanted to be. I'm going to become worse than the Jews because I'm going to give in to them. No, and we don't either. So by divine appointment, we're all here today. What's God saying to us? The Holy Spirit was speaking to Pilate. That's why he tried so many times to get Jesus out of this dilemma. But when push came to shove, if it meant Jesus pay the price or Pilate pay the price, it was going to be Jesus. Praise God, Jesus paid the price. Can you say amen? Listen, friends, that was the king of the universe. He could have called 10,000 angels to set the record straight, but somebody had to pay the price for Pilate and for me. He died for my sins. They still exist, whether society wants to say so or not, whether the modern church wants to acknowledge so or not. Spirit speaks to our hearts. We do things that are wrong. Christ says, I'll forgive you if you come to me. But if we never come, we're trotting the path of Pilate. And the devil knows at some moment in time, I'm going to get him. So this morning, friends, I want you to know something. Jesus is calling you to bear a cross. He's calling you to the cross for forgiveness. He's calling you to the freedom that's on the inside, no matter what's going on on the outside. It's called forgiveness. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. It's called true love. It's called true freedom. This is why thousands through the ages could say to their persecutors, you can take my physical life, but you can't take the life I have in Christ. And this morning, on behalf of the living Christ who shed drops of blood praying for Pilate, appealing for him in silent prayer as he stood before him waiting for judgment, I want you to know that same Jesus is praying for you and me today. And he's saying, sinner, would you receive me? Would you be willing to wear the cross, carry the cross? Would you take a stand beneath the cross for me?
This morning, friends, the invitation is given. Are you a person of substance? Or are you Play-Doh in the hands of the favor of the world? This is what everybody's got to decide. Will I pay any price, even the littlest price, to follow Jesus? Could I leave out my conviction and let the world scorn or mock or deride me? Or am I just going to move wherever the path of least resistance is? That's what Pilate did. Today's a day, a beautiful day, beautiful on the outside, by God's grace, beautiful on the inside. And I'm inviting you today to give Jesus first place in your life. And then let the world go wherever it may, opportunity, privilege, favor, let it go. But wherever you go, you'll have the happiness of Jesus. I invite you to take your hymn books, open them up to our closing hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. I fain would take my stand. And I'm inviting you today to say, Christ, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll be whoever you've called me to be.